Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to a brand new MMA Roasted Podcast. It's me, Adam Hunter. I'm here with T-Rex. Hey, guys. You always do the most. It's like, it's like, it puts me in a bad mood every time you do that. But it's okay. It's all right. It's only a three-second bad mood. Now you know how I feel when I see your face. Oh, God. Exactly. <laughs> what kind of show is it? We're off to a great start right now. You can't just be like, hey, how's it going? You have to go, or make some kind of, hey, guys, or voila, or like, hey, yuck, guys. yuck. That's and, how I am. I'm, not, I'm never just like, hi. Uh, that's a good point. All right. How are you? Know, you? I'm just not going to introduce you anymore. I'm going to be like, hey, it's me, and then ignore you. And, and then, then I'll uh, just be in the background. And I'm here, too. Yeah, much better. Anyway, so now we're off to this amazing start. Uh, uh, what what can we talk about? Let's. Uh, <laughs> what can we talk about? Okay, we got a great show. That's the whole point of our show. Uh, we have Brian Stan is on yeah, the show. American hero. Jermaine de Randeme. Yes, I uh, love her. Yes, love that girl. And Bubba Jenkins. I'm excited about all yeah, three yeah. of these guests. He's got great guests. We got we have one guy who's uh, who was a war hero and a UFC superstar. Uh, we have a girl that was uh, 46-0 in Muay Thai, who's an 11-time kickboxing champion in the UFC, and a guy who's an NCAA champion who's now in Bellator, who I think is one of the futures of MMA. There you go. So uh, some great uh, some fights were announced recently. Pat Cummings. I want to get Pat Cummings on the show. I like Pat Cummings. I met him. Cool dude. He's fighting Kyle Kingsbury. Kingsbury. Uh, uh, Pat recently said that he beats Daniel Cormier 9 out of 10 times. Who said this? Pat Cummings. And then Cormier spilled his coffee, and then Pat was there to clean it up. Uh, but so, really, nine out of ten times? I mean, yeah, come on. I, I, I so love that, the, that one that he lost was the that, one. Yeah. I, I, I believe in your. And then somebody wrote on the uh, underground, yeah, okay. And then Misha Tate beats Ronda uh, uh, 18 out of 20 times. Right. <laughs> it's one of those things you can just keep doing that kind of man. Right. But look, I, I'm a, I love these guys. I guess you have to have that kind of belief in yourself. Otherwise, what's the point? I mean, what is he going to say? I, I can't beat Daniel Cormier, or I didn't. So, right. uh, so uh, that's uh, that's one thing we got to talk about. Um, Phil Baroni uh, is fighting Carol Parisian. Uh, I, I'm excited about that. I, I, I might go see that. Can we, can we get Phil Baroni back on the? Yes, yeah, so we're going to have. Let's have Phil on next week. Uh, Phil tweeted, "It's it's the the uh, ultimate male versus the the, the, uh, the uh, meatball." But <laughs> at the same time, I think Carol is Armenian. Uh, meatball would be Italian, though. Otherwise, he's calling himself the meatball and Carol the ultimate male, which wouldn't make any sense. I don't know. It, it's four floors of horrors versus uh, four floors of hookahs. But um, <laughs> hookahs. <laughs> It's gonna be like four I'm, floors of clean Mercedes, bro. Yeah, for, <laughs> I can't wait for the weigh-in. Do you know who I am, Baroni? I'm excited for that fight. I think it's gonna be a good fight. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's that that that's that's, that's good. Uh, what else can we talk about? The Ultimate Fighter. Have you watched? You watch it last week? I did. What, what did you think of uh, Matt Van Buren versus Chris Fields? Uh, I thought that Matt Van Buren was going to do a little more damage than he did because of all the smack talking. But and I thought that fight was uh, pretty evenly matched. Um, I was not impressed with Matt Van Buren though. I was I was hoping that he was going to either get destroyed 
or he was going to dominate, and he didn't either. You know what? I had a feeling that he was not going to be. He wasn't going to live up to because all his I, just, talk. I don't know. Everybody that I see that's like an amazing fighter is usually pretty either humble or if they do smoke tack, if they do talk smack, it's like with a wink and a nod. It's not like like this dude looks like one of these psychos that I went to high school with. Right. Just like that sits in the corner. Like, I could beat everybody up. You know, they just I don't know. There's something very not human about him, but. At well, the same time, I also he, he knew, made it that far. So. I, I also knew that there was like in one of the previous shows. He kept on talking about how he just came here to whoop ass and you know I'm gonna kill yeah. everybody, whatever. And then his coach asked him to fight. And he was like, I mean, yeah, man, I'm 75. percent Yeah. Like, if you were really that much of a badass, you would even if you were 75, percent you would say, I'm 100, percent man, let's do it. It seems like you have to yeah, be I'll from fight. like. It seems like if you're from a, if you're from a third world country, then you could have that attitude. Like when Diego Brandao was like, I am going to win or die. Like you're like, you know what? I I kind of believe this guy. I believe that. that <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that's sort of. Uh, but then Dana White said, "Look, this is the worst." He said, "This is the worst season ever." Yeah, he's and, like, "Yeah, he had to pull them all aside and be like, dude, do you want you want to win this thing or not?'" But no, but even after that, he said, "This is the worst season ever." But is that is that the best way to promote your product? This is the if I'm like, this is the worst season ever. I would want to say, I, I maybe you'd maybe want to tune in to see the worst season ever. Maybe that's sort of like a. a well, he's you know, probably doing damage control because it's you know if he doesn't say it, he's trying to nip it in the bud because everybody who's watching knows that it's terrible. I don't think it's necessarily terrible. I think the guys are very evenly matched, and I think also it's one of those things where guys are figuring out. Okay, if I win this, I get a UFC contract. Right. And in order to win, I have to not take a lot of damage. I have to not get hurt. So guys are just trying to wrestle, 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 screw, and play it safe. And honestly, I cannot say that I disagree with that philosophy. If I was there, I'd want to win. And if you go out there and play Rock'em Sock'em Robots, you're probably not going to last that long. Either you're going to win and get hurt, or you're going to lose. So I can't. I think guys are being too smart for the competition. At the same time, you know, the UFC and, needs more meatheads. I'm telling you that the, <laughs> that either that or the next season, or don't let the guys just cast them. If you don't, if you just let them on the show, if you let them try out for the show, you're gonna weed out some of the better guys. But if you just cast it, you're gonna get good. Just cast it like a bunch of meatheads or a bunch of guys, and say, "Here's 16 guys, go at it." Because then you're gonna have that difference of like skill. You're right. gonna get the guy who's that high, and you're gonna get the guy who's that low. Now, that being said, the next season of The Ultimate Fighter with the 115-pound women's division is going to be awesome because you have uh, the coaches, you have Pettis, who Anthony Pettis is now being called out by everybody. Even <laughs> Khabib is calling him out. When, when a guy who doesn't speak English is calling you out on Twitter, it's pretty damn funny. He actually said, uh, how, how's your insurance policy or something? Or something kind of that it was supposed to be an insult that kind of made sense, actually. But uh, So Khabib's been calling him out. And these women on the show who I personally know a lot of them, are crazy and fun and hot uh, and nuts. You look at Felice, Her Felice Herrig. That's a great recipe for sex. Felice Herrig, Carla Esparza, uh, Rowdy Beck, uh, these other girls. I don't know if uh, Jessica, Jessica uh, Penny made the show, but these other girls that I know are, they're all Invicta girls and they're little and that's going to be a great season. So yeah. I don't know. You know, it's a, you, you can't get everything. If you're gonna get, if you're gonna let, you're gonna either gonna let guys like Junie Browning on the show, who, <laughs> and the War Machines, and these other guys that you know are gonna be train wrecks. But then you're gonna have to do careful matchmaking in round one, 
Or you're going to have to just not do that and get the best guys, but then it might be a boring season because you're not going to get the personalities and you're not going to get the crazy stuff. Either way, I'm entertained I and heard, I'm I, happy to watch it. I heard on Fight Pass, if you get Fight Pass, you can watch the, um, they have hit shower cameras. No. And then you're you joking. See, of course I'm joking. You're perverted. <laughs> I would, for the next season, I would order that right away. I, I go home right now and, and search for the, uh, <laughs> the shower. That's so perverted. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. I'll tell you what. The highlight of the season is Mark Coleman yeah. because that is the most real, awesome human being. I remember when I the, my first introduction to MMA was probably watching The Smashing Machine. A little before that, I watched The Gracies and Dan Severn, but that was one of the best documentaries. And Mark Coleman is is what you see is what you get. That grumpy old, grizzled, grizzled, tough dude that's seen it all. Uh, and I love his facial expression too. He just looks like whatever, oh, like all the time. It's just like it's unbelievable. <laughs> it is, it is unbelievable. So uh, anyway, that being said, the guy who I want to win, Eddie Truck Gordon, we're gonna have him on the show. He's a big fan of mine on Twitter. I'm a big fan of his. I hope he wins. He's he's fighting uh, Cathal, who uh, seems like the, the the badass of the show. Pendred or whatever. Yeah, I'm excited. Anyway, let's start our podcast. Let's talk to Brian Stan. Yeah. Thank you for listening. All right, so we have an American hero, uh, awesome guy, friend of mine. He did a great job hosting them, MMA Awards. He uh, UFC veteran, <laughs> college football superstar, hot banging wife. How's it going? It's going well, man. You didn't even How's say his name. Brian Stan. Brian stands with us. <laughs> I his name. Brian, oh, yeah, everything but his name. Right. So, uh, so by the way, congratulations on on your your uh, broadcasting. You're doing a great job with that, by the way. I, you know, I, I, I appreciate it. Um, I, I hope I'm doing okay. You know, I know I, I put a lot of time and preparation into it, to be honest, and uh, I enjoy doing it. So hopefully uh, the opportunities will only continue to come. Oh, well, you do a great job. Now, is it hard sometimes because, uh, you know, you don't want to kind of – have you had fighters get mad at you yet? You know, yeah. You know, I've had that happen. I started having that happen, and, you know, as soon as I started doing – some of the TV stuff, even way back when I was doing ESPN's MMA Live years ago, and uh, I had guys getting mad at me, and it just really comes to the territory. Um, the most important thing, I think, is that I speak to them and their coaches at some point in the preparation before the fight, so I at least have a perspective of what they hope to accomplish in the cage, and I think that gives me my best opportunity not to insult their performance, but just to talk about what they wanted to do, what limited them from doing it, and you know, as long as I don't speculate and I and I say facts to what I see, I think guys won't get as mad. But, you know, we're all fighters. We're sensitive people. And, you know, certainly the first time I called fights at 163, it was no secret that, uh, you know, when I called the Phil Davis fight, there was there was one person in particular who didn't like the way I called it. Yeah, Brendan um, Vera. Vera got upset. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, whatever. Um, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't even dignify that comment with a response. You know, people get emotional when their teammates fight, and I totally understand that. And if I saw him, you know, I wouldn't treat him any differently. And I, I, I've forgotten about it. You get emotional when you watch your friends fight. And, uh, you know, I had apologized to Phil after the fight and said, look, man, if I did, I apologize. Seven and a half hours of calling fights and you call a card. And if I got too one-sided there, I'm sorry, buddy. So. Well, it's one of those things also where 
it's what it's a, it's a very thankless job in some regards because you have no matter how good you do as a job, it's kind of like being a referee. There's always yeah. people that there's are going to tell. Loser, there's going to be a winner, and, and people are always going to say, "Oh, he's not good," or replace him, or this or that. And it's it's never the guys that that are that like think you're doing a great job that are really going to speak up. Very few in between. It's the guys that want to insult you that are the most vocal. You know, without a doubt, it's it's hilarious to see social media when you call a fight. And Kenny's got a great phrase. He says, "You know, he's old for one million on calling fights. <laughs> no matter what he does, he can't please everybody." And, uh, you know, I had heard him say that before I started doing it. And it's true. You know, you'll get a lot of good positive feedback, some constructive criticism, and then you just get people that are so, you know, outside their own realm. It, it, it's ridiculous. And, and I get it. You know, people are passionate about the fighters they want to cheer for, and they want to hear you only say 100% of the time really good things about them, and I get it. And then the other thing is, too, is, look, Joe Rogan is Joe Rogan for a reason. But he can't do whatever ungodly amount of shows we're doing right now. And uh, there's no other Joe Rogan. I'm never going to be him, never going to try to be him. And if that's the only guy you want to hear calling fights, take it up with him. That he can't, <laughs> he can't somehow be at all places of the earth at once. Yeah, and the same thing happened with, same thing with stand-up comedy. I mean, I'll do a show and 100 people will laugh or 99 people laugh and one guy gets angry and that's the guy that writes a letter to the thing and then the comedy club you know we had a complaint I'm like yeah what about the 99 people that right. laughed it's, it's, exactly. it's so annoying but I just want to say you're doing a great job dude and I honestly it's you're one of the guys that I listen to and I watch the fights you know and, and that's when I know you're doing a good job when I'm not focused on the commentator you know that's uh you know, there are certain, uh, you do a really good job. And what I like about the UFC is that you guys aren't biased. Even sometimes when I watch HBO or boxing, you, you know, you see a guy who's an HBO guy or Larry, a show. Or Larry Merchant. Well, Larry I like, but like a Showtime guy. <laughs> you see you see those like Showtime boxers that are have a deal with Showtime. And the commentators will just say that guy's winning when it's obviously not what's going on on TV. Right. And you're it's like. brutal. Yeah. And brutal. I, I can't, you know, we, we've got enough. We've had enough fluff in MMA that when it comes to the cold part calling a fight, you absolutely have to be unbiased. We got enough enough speculation with the media and, and, and just the demographic we attract to the sport. Yeah, no, I mean there was a fight last week that was uh, uh, Chris something. He he uh, he uh, beat this guy from from uh, from Russia. It was a boxing match. The guy clearly lost. Uh, Chris Abrego, I think his name was, and they they gave him the fight, and it was one of those things. Now. Uh, but at the same time, like, what did you think of that, like, Diego Sanchez, Russ Pearson fight? You know, it's funny, um, and not a lot of people caught this on my timeline, but I, I pushed something out saying, guys, the way Diego's closing these rounds and being that this is in Albuquerque, a place I've spent a lot of time in, I have a feeling we're headed to a very bad decision. And people started immediately insulting me, saying, like, do you think he's winning? And I responded, no, I don't, but I'm telling you, watch. No sooner did I say that, that the decision came out that Diego won, and I just tweeted out, told you. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know and it, it's no disrespect to Diego, because when you're in there, it's really hard to calculate points and whether you're winning or not. He's a guy I love watch fighting. Um, but it was clear to me that he had lost that fight, and it's sad for the guy that he fights, you know, Ross, to have to deal with that. Yes, Dana gave him his win bonus, but that, that mark on his record is still there. No matter what you do, a loss is a loss, and it doesn't get you the things that you feel you should be accredited to. And, and it, it, just, it really upsets me with these judges. 
uh, to where they're just so blind as to the, the entire outcome of the fight. It's ridiculous. But isn't it sad for Diego also because he wins and now he gets associated with robbing and people go, oh, Diego, you really lost. And it's sort of like he doesn't even get to celebrate his, his, his like victory in some ways. You know, that's a great point, too. It's certainly not his fault, and, and that's a great point, because that's a guy who literally lays his soul out on the line every time he goes in the octagon for us. And every in this time. particular fight, he, he tried to be a little bit more technical, and he showed some real improvements. Um, and, and people will say, well, he didn't get him down. He needs to try and take guys down. Well, who knows? And he may have had a bum knee or some injury that he couldn't take the guy down. You know, people forget to factor in the unknown there as to why guys perform certain ways. And you're right. For Diego not to have the opportunity to celebrate the way he can celebrate on a real win, it gets taken away from him. That, that absolutely sucks as well. And the good thing is both guys are now going to get matched like they were winners. So yeah. you know, neither lose any real opportunity. Now, Diego's a guy, he's one of my favorite fighters because, you know, you talk about a guy with heart. I've never seen a guy, I mean, you, you know, you guys like you, Diego, certain guys, every single time they go out there, I know I'm going to see a, 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 a war. But, you you're, know. You're talking about a guy who broke his hand off somebody's head in training. <laughs> you, I mean, it's not, just a, it's not just when he fights. That guy, when he walks in the gym, everybody knows. I mean, he had some ab warm-up machine at Jackson that he wrote. Do not sit on this. Diego Sanchez only. And he'd get on there and like do these obliques or something to warm up. And then he'd go in there and he'd be completely out of shape. And he would do 10 rounds. And then the guy can will his body to do things that you know shouldn't be possible. But he just won't allow himself to feel pain. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to watch. Hey, but is, at a certain point, though, even though he, he technically got the win, where you see a guy like Diego Sanchez who's taken so many shots and so and trained so hard, where, you know, I remember I used to go to Freddie Roach's boxing gym, and you'd see these old-time boxers, and they're just, I mean, when they say punchy is like the only word I could say to describe them, where they're just, they're just not there anymore. And people go, well, you know, you sign up for boxing, that's what you get. Well, we haven't seen that with MMA because it's sort of a newer sport. But a guy like Diego, I think, would be a prime candidate for a guy who, in 15 years, might not be able to tie his shoe. Slow you know, speech. and uh, how do you deal with that? You know, I think you're right on the money, and I think uh, you know two things. I mean, one, fighters have to take ultimate responsibility for their own careers and health. However, the reason we're fighters is because we can do things and mentally push ourselves to different levels. So we need somebody yank on that leash. I know Diego's coach, Mike Winklejohn, has really focused on head movement a lot at the entire camp down there, Greg Jackson. I mean, he is, he's got everybody moving their head and trying to elongate their career, and I think that's the reason Diego had the game plan that he did, where he didn't just walk into punches and invite a brawl for 15 straight minutes. Um, but, and, and, you know, I, I pray that Diego doesn't suffer that kind of fate, but the only reason we haven't seen it is because this sport is young, and what people don't see when these guys fight is what happens in the gym. When guys fight that way in the octagon, nine out of ten times, that's how they train in the gym as well. And that just you times the headshots by a hundred. When I first started training the sport, that's how I thought you had to train. I mean, we would kill each other. We literally would fight in the gym every day. And if you survived, then you'd go on to your fight and you felt prepared because this is the standard. This is what you're supposed to do. When I trained the first time at Extreme Couture after I got back from Iraq, I mean, I watched Forrest Griffin and Randy beat the everything snot out of each other. And I thought, okay, well, I guess this is what you got to do to win. And so I did that, and I won a fight that I shouldn't have won. 
And then that became the standard. And I try to talk to these fighters as much as possible because they don't realize all those shots they take in the gym, they, they all accumulate and can have an effect later in life. And I see it, obviously, in my military troops with a lot of Marines and service members that, that I work with now that have traumatic brain injuries. But boxing is way worse, I believe, though, because, I mean, it's focused on strictly the head. And, you know, like in a. Yeah, but you also have bigger gloves, though. You have more cushion. I mean, so it's. it's Right, but your head's getting pounded for 10 rounds. Yeah. I mean, I. And, and, yeah. and, and, in, the, and, in, the, and in the gym as well. So by the time oh, you're yeah. retired, you've taken exponentially uh, way more headshots than an MMA fighter would, I think. And, you know, I got to agree, too, because in boxing, you're a bum. And so you get to a certain area and you're just a piece of meat to the great guy. Yeah. You know, and so they, they take poundings at times. Um, but I think we've seen, you know, if you look at uh, Martinez as a great boxer, for example, that guy only spars a couple times his entire, his entire training camp. And I think we're starting to see guys, like Donald Cerrone, a lot of people don't know this, but for his last fight, he limited his sparring because he wanted to be careful he didn't warm his chin up, um, you know, for his opponent. And so there there are some guys now finally starting to recognize Is that, that they don't want to be hit in, pra- in practice. I mean, John Jones, the guy, he, he'll be able to fight till he's 40 because he doesn't get hit in practice. And now is that because uh, Cerrone um, couldn't afford a sparring partner? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. no, he's got plenty. He, you know, the young Donald Cerrone used to come in and he would spar. They, they'd do two practices down in Albuquerque. He'd do six or seven rounds with the guys his way. Then he'd wait around and he'd go with the bigger guys. And he'd do five or six rounds with them as well. And and be that jerk who would try and get the big guys tired because he doesn't get tired. Fair but, enough. I mean, you can accumulate a ton of damage doing that. And he's really grown up in that regard. First time I met Cerrone at a, at a party, I, I go, Tracy Lee's like, hey, this is Adam. This is M.A. Roasty. He goes, roast me and I'll kick your ass. And I said, all right, that's a... <laughs> No problem. And then he started laughing. Yeah, I was joking. Yeah, yeah, he was. I was like, oh, thank God, he was laughing. I'm like, all right, that's all you got to say. No problem. Now, um, now, now, we got to talk about a, a couple things here. Now, the whole. I, I watched your Vanderlei Silva fight again last night, which was one of the best fights I've ever seen in my entire life. Craziest fight. Now, now that we know what. It's going on with the whole testosterone and drug use and Vanderlei running from a drug test. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think he was on drugs? Uh, he was on uh, steroids when you guys fought. Would you have liked to, do you think that was cheating? Would you like to fight him again? Or would you have liked to fight him off steroids? Oh, of course I would love to have fought him off steroids. And, and the answer is yes. Um, I, I do feel that he was. I mean, what other reason did we have um, that I was... You know, the stipulations of the fight were that it had to be at light heavyweight. I didn't want to fight at light heavyweight. I was a 185-pounder. I was told the only way this fight happens is if it's at 205. And, um, you know, look, people have speculated, but what, what, what fans don't understand is that we as fighters, it's a very close-knit, uh, small-niche community. And so we all cross-train at different gyms, and we hear all the different stories and get all the different intel. And, you know, me being a fighter, thought to myself, well, it doesn't matter if, if he uses, because I think a lot of guys that I have fought do use, and I don't think it will stop me from winning the fight. Um, you know, and, and I ended up losing it, and, and it is what it is. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to use that as just an excuse. Um, you know, there were, there were surrounding things in that fight to where uh, I had to fight with a certain game plan in that fight, um, just due to some, some, some things that took place the week of it. And, and that's life. It is what it is. But I was very disappointed, um, you know, because that was my last fight. 
I think a lot of people really gained a lot of respect for both me and Vanderlei through that fight. That was a fight that's going to get replayed, and people are going to look at it. And, and I was proud of that fight, regardless of the outcome. And when you see a man who won't be accountable for his actions and, and does that, um, it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful not only to the sport, but to, to your previous and future opponents. And, uh, you know, people are going to get mad that I say that, but it's fact. And, and, and you know, I've been criticized before by people who say, well, you sound like you're giving excuses or this and that. Why? Because I think the sport should be fair, because I think steroids and cheating are bad. I don't want to see my friends who are fighters that are clean to get hurt and have opportunities. Because, I mean, look, when you lose, you make half the money. And, and anybody who's ever trained with somebody who uses knows how big an advantage it is. I mean, we've literally, if you track back certain people's careers, you can see, and if you know when they used, you can see where someone was very mediocre to all of a sudden they became a top 10 contender. And, and the, the common denominator wasn't changing camps or changing weight classes. <laughs> it, it was, in many cases, it was a decision to start using stuff. And it is a major advantage. And I've trained with guys that use it. Look, I don't know if I can't, you know, prove that Vanderlei took something, but there's no other reason that you run um, from a test. And I think it would have been more honorable for him to stay there. And if if, if he got caught, at least uh, at least stand up tall, take his punishment on the chin, and then and then go on to fight more. And those people that are criticizing you weren't in the octagon with him, by the way. Right. Uh, uh, no, they're, uh, they're, you, they're not the people who got yeah, they're not the people who got paid forty thousand dollars for that fight instead of eighty thousand dollars. And you I, mean, know, I didn't get a win bonus. And, I mean, you know, if, and, and not to say that I would have beat him if it was, but at least I would have gotten the chance to beat him in a fair fight. Well, I'm 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 gonna go on record and say you would have won that fight if uh, if he you know allegedly you know wasn't taking that kind of stuff because you know a guy like I mean look there were times you had him out and he just kept coming back up and maybe that was the extra boost that he needed who knows you know but another guy is is uh, Chael Sonnen uh, who also uh, used you know uh, used drugs when you when when uh, you fought him correct I mean I mean, I mean like when you say you were upset. I mean, are you sitting there like, oh, I'm like sad, upset, sad face, or are you Brian Stan getting up and punching a wall? It'd be like that mother. No, I mean, no, it, I, I don't see know, Brian doing that. Where, you know, for me, I, I I say, you know, and and look, I, I was able to leave the sport, and that's that's my opinion. If if you get fed up with something, look, it was I still signed the dotted line. I I suspected him of using when I signed the dotted line and thought I could still beat him. So it was, it's no one to blame but myself. Um. You know, this is the same thing with Chael. I knew he was going to get a use exemption, and I don't know if Texas has any levels like California and Nevada does. Texas is where you send guys to get um, to get licensed when they've, they've been coming off suspensions before. We've seen it in boxing before. And the difference, you know, between Chael and Vanderlei is, is me and Chael have had that conversation face-to-face. Um, you know, he knows my stance on it, and, and I know his stance on it. And, uh, you know, he was, he was very respectful as to my opinion during it. And we were able to, to move forward in, in a relationship, um, you know, because obviously we work together very often. And so um, I put a lot of value on someone being able to look you in the eye and say, hey, you know, yes, this is a factor. Um, you know, in his situation, there was a, a loophole where they actually allowed people to take testosterone to fight. I think that's absolutely ludicrous. Um, I'm no doctor and I can't claim whether these guys need it or not, but my opinion is that I don't think any of them did. The, the odds of someone actually having hypogonadism is very, very low. But, you, you know, say hypogonadism? Hey, look, I chose, yeah. Like too small I, I nuts? I chose to sign the bout agreement. Um, 
and fight him. And, and, and I knew how bad a matchup that was for me at the time, but what people don't know is the backstory to that was, um, you know, I got offered a contract from the UFC that we counter-offered to get more money. And, and Joe Silva basically came back and, and gave me an opportunity. He said, look, I'm not going to give you more money. If you want more money, I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. Nobody wants to fight this guy right now. You beat this guy. You know, he's the number one contender. And I'll tell you what. You will go above me and you will negotiate a contract uh, with Lorenzo or Dana. And it could be a big opportunity. That's your choice. And so, hey, what do I have to lose? Why not roll those dice? And Chael didn't like it because we were friends at the time. And I said, hey, look, Chael, look, it's not like this is on paper a bad matchup for you. Um, it's not personal, but this is what we got to do right now. And I've got to take these opportunities. I'm in this to make as much money as I can. I'm in this to fight the best guys so I know exactly where I stand. I don't want to be carried. I don't want to fight guys that, you know, the UFC knows I can beat so they can promote a veteran. And uh, the fight happened, and, and we had a discussion you know, many years ago about the whole therapeutic use exemption and, and, and we were able to put it behind us. And if I, if, and when I see Vanderlei, which maybe I'll see him, you know, at the fight expo, well, we can have that discussion too. And he may very well say to me, Brian, I was absolutely clean for our fight and I knocked you out fair and square. Um, but we can at least have that discussion, you know, man to man, which is the way I prefer it. Can I moderate it? <laughs> sure. Why not? Yeah. If you could translate it, to us. we may, you know, yeah. there's a language barrier there. That that is now we got to talk about. Well, we don't have to talk, but one of the things you know, you got the silver star, which is the highest honor you can get in the Marines. Uh, you were trying to secure a bridge in Iraq, and you had 42 guys under you, and for six days you were under fire, and you made sure that everyone got out safe. Now for that's the, ridiculous. Now for that six days, what's going through your head? What are you guys doing back there? Can you guys beat off? I mean, I mean, what exactly? What's going on back there? Dude, it's that's so funny. Um, it, it, Howard Stern asked me a very similar question. Um, you comedians all think along the same lines. You're all perverts, but uh, you know the only thing you think of uh, during that is is your guys and the mission. You know, and, and you have to focus on staying one to two steps ahead of the enemy. You know, what is their most likely course of action? What's their most dangerous course of action? What do I do now to disrupt that and not allow that to happen? And, and so that was always my main course of action during the time. And then obviously, you know, when the shit really hits the fan, as a leader, you have to move to the point of friction. You know, where that point of friction is, that's where you belong. You've got to reduce that friction. You've got to solve the problems while keeping your men on point, calm. And if they hear you being calm, then they're going to be calm. If you sound afraid, then they're going to be afraid. And and so uh, those were the things that need to be done at the time. And, and you know, look, I, I had 42 incredible guys, which is really why they came out all alive, um, along with luck. You know, what, what doesn't get told with that story when the media, you know, tries to produce it and, 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 and say different things is that, you know, there, there were there were men during that mission that were permanently hurt. You know, there, there, there's there's a man who has no legs anymore. There's there's another man who, who will never walk again. And and those are things where, uh, you know, I don't have that metal hanging in my house with some stupid citation. I, I don't care. Um, you know, I wasn't able to help those guys. You know, they've got to live with that for the rest of their lives. And and. You know, that's all part of it. It's, it's not something that I look back on like a sunny day or that was my moment that defines me. Um, you know, I could really care less about having the medal, the relationships I made and the things that we did. 
um, you know, were, were really what's more important to me. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would have that medal with me everywhere, and I'd be trying to get as much puss out of it as possible. Uh, I think yeah. I think that also adds to, to to your legend, man, that you don't flaunt that. And yeah, no, I'm kidding. It, yeah, that is amazing. That is amazing. That you, that is, that's an amazing story, dude. And you're incredibly handsome with that square jaw. You're like the poster child for the American hero. Yeah. It, it was like you, you and Pat Tillman together. I mean, like, come on. You're telling me like when your wife is annoying you, you're not like, dude, I say 42 men. <laughs> I got a silver star I and I look like this. Well, here's the deal. When you have three young kids, I, you could go off and save the world every day. When you go home and she's had to deal with that by herself, <laughs> man, it's, let me tell you. Yeah, you might have saved 42 guys, but I've been dealing with these three maniacs yeah. for the last Why don't, why don't you save these three girls from being, yeah, exactly. Now, a funny story with Brian. So I, I, I meet Brian at the MMA Awards. And I, we, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Nice guy. Follow him. Great guy. And I, you know, I, I get nervous sometimes when I meet these fighters. So I didn't know what to say. So I'm like, "Hey, nice to meet you, Brian. Hey, how's it going, man?" I, I go, "Here's how your night last night." I'm like, "Oh, dude, some 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 fat chick ate my ass," and, uh, oh my which, which which really did happen. <laughs> and then we talked about that for like 20 minutes. That was that was he, he's not lying. That was legitimately the icebreaker. <laughs> talking about a fat girl eating his ass. This is where being in the infantry is great experience because, you know, in the infantry, it's obviously all guys. And when you deploy, I mean, you're together for seven months. You don't send me that's, you know, you're showering once every 20 days. You get used to having some very awkward conversations. And so and the best part about it that you forgot is, like, while we were having this conversation, Brian Callen comes walking in. And just dives right in with his own from the night before. I mean, it was it was just like a smorgasbord of <laughs> Yeah, he goes, he goes, how was your day? I really have. I was in Vegas, and then some girl was like giving me, you know, a head, and she's like, I really want to eat your butt, and I was like. What am I gonna say? No, you know. So I was like, "All right," and it was the the best slash most uncomfortable slash amazing feeling, and I had to share it with somebody. I don't know why Brian just seemed like so the guy. Brian stands the guy. Brian Stan seemed <laughs> yeah. like the guy to tell. I'm the guy who can comfort you in your uncomfortable stories, and, and you know the best part is, is literally like 20 seconds after the conversation ends, that's when I kind of reach over and introduce my wife. You know, I was trying to <laughs> away during that. Like, this is not what she wants to see. Oh my god! And then you're like, "Hey, this is out of a comedian." No, it was very, it, it was, it was entertaining as hell. And then, and then Callum was like, "Man, uh, that is not something that I would want to do." <laughs> it was, like, it was <laughs> yeah, that was that was awesome. So uh, I gotta say though, I was uh, back to fighting and not, and not my ass being eaten. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so uh, your fight against against Sakara. Now you had knocked him down. You were punching him in the face. And at a certain point, you held back and asked the the ref to stop it. Now, is that hard? I mean, I know a guy, like you're in a, when you're punching someone, you're in like a kind of a, a, a rage. You're kind of is that is that hard to do? A lot of fighters wouldn't be able to have that compassion while when when they're punching somebody. He's a consummate professional. You know, I, I, I I'm a weirdo. I did that in my first pro fight, and then I did it again in my second pro fight. Um, and then obviously uh, in the UFC, the guys are so good that I couldn't. <laughs> I wasn't afforded the opportunity to do it. Um, you know, it was just a situation where the, the the first time I hit him, I saw the eyes roll back, and then he kind of woke up. I hit him again in, in his legs. When when someone's you know got their legs wrapped around you and you're in the guard, you can tell immediately when they go unconscious because the tension completely releases it. And there's just you know there's just no reason 
to continue. Well, you know, we fighters may we may argue, we may talk a lot of trash before the fight, and but we we have a common bond because we know the sacrifice it takes to do this for a living. It is not an easy way to make a living. It's not it nearly as glamorous as maybe some of the fans may think at times. It's a comedy. And and I think that's the reason why you see fighters do things like that where I've got no ill will whatsoever against Alessio Sakara. Um, I've got no desire to pound him into oblivion. I want to win the fight. I want to collect two paychecks, and I just want to go home and take them to my kids. So um, I, it was it was a situation where, fortunately for me, you know, when when he went limp, I was able to know right away that he was out, and and there's absolutely no reason to hit him again. Yeah, no, it was uh, it that was, was commendable, a, man. I liked that when I saw that. I was like, what a great guy. It was like, yeah, you're like too great of a guy. Like, uh, I'm like waiting to find out you have like 12 dead bodies in your uh, backyard. <laughs> in your backyard, you're such, such a. It, honestly, you're so, you're definitely someone that I, I look up to and that I aspire to be like. And uh, sorry if I grossed you out with the uh, eating butt story. I just figured that you. Would, <laughs> I figured Don't that you worry. would laugh. Um, now, now your wife was a, a cheerleader, correct? That's correct. Now, how did you pick her up? You know, by the it, waste. Funny. So, <laughs> I'll go on. Exactly, by the waste. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a few tricks to the trade here, right? Yeah. So, I I met her before I deployed to Iraq, and and there wasn't anything serious going on. But anyways, I I came home from my first tour. She was cheering the Eagles, and I went to Philadelphia, and I was there. And of course, I gave her a call. And from that weekend on, where we linked up, uh, we that's when we started dating, and. You know, we fell in love rather quickly, and and the key was is you got to capitalize on momentum. And so, I realized that her dream proposal from her twin sister was to one day be proposed to on the field while she was cheering. I also knew that the entire next football season I was going to be gone to Iraq for my second tour. So if I was going to make that happen, it had to be now, which was definitely too soon to propose. But I thought her family and everybody would understand because I was leaving to go to war. I kind of could pull the war card on this one and capitalize on the momentum of having this young woman kind of, you know, infatuated with you at the moment before she realizes you're really not that cool. So <laughs> I proposed to her during her last ever football game on Eagle Field. Um, right at the center, you know, the center field, I coordinated with the Eagles, and, and they all knew she had no idea. She thought it was fan day and that some fan was going to come out and get a picture with the team. And they positioned her so that as I walked out, she couldn't see me until I was right in front of everybody. And she's just went like, what is he doing out here? So now I asked her to marry me in front of her entire cheerleading squad, all these people, people in the stadium. That's a lot of pressure. I had no yeah. idea if she was going to say yes or not. She did. Huh. And so, like I said, you got to capitalize on momentum. So we didn't live together. I was at Camp Lejeune. She was in Philadelphia. I went to war. I came back. Um, or I'm sorry, right before we went to war, I told her, I said, look, I said, uh, if we get married and I die, you then get benefits for life. If we're just fiancés, it doesn't work that way. So I think it's beneficial if we go to the courthouse and we just kind of go through this procedure before I leave, um, just in case something happens. And then we'll have the real wedding when I get back. Wow. Everybody agreed. We got married at a courthouse in Camp Lejeune with nobody around. So now I got her. Now I'm legally. <laughs> I came home from war, and literally within the first three weeks of being home, I got her pregnant. Wow. Yeah. Now, and then she... I kept doing that. So now we have eight years of marriage, three kids. That. It makes it harder and harder for her to leave. That's a... Now, if she said no and you proposed to her, would you have gone down the line of cheerleaders so someone said yes? 
Right. You know, there's a couple <laughs> That's on the hilarious. list that, that Would you? Right. <laughs> you give it a shot, but I don't think she would. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Brian Stan, look, it is an honor to have you on. We'll have you on anytime. Anytime you have need, need an outlet to talk to somebody that's unfiltered, please let us be the podcast that you, you, you go to. Also, if I could say something, this is T-Rex, uh, Adam's co-host. Um, my son has uh, round five dolls, and you're his favorite round five doll. He's four years old. Really? He always says, Brian, yeah. Brian Stan, where's Brian Stan? I always got to find him, Brian Stan. I, I See, actually... Awesome. He always, really, awesome. Someone tweeted me a picture of that and told me that, that they were able to get it at the store on sale for 99 cents. So that makes me... Uh, <laughs> I, have, uh, I have Vanderlays, but it comes with uh, steroids, actually. Um, <laughs> it comes with a little syringe. It comes with a syringe, and it gets 12 times bigger when you uh, put it in the syringe. In. Listen, Brian Stan, where can people find you? Where can people uh, follow you? You know, my, my Twitter handle is just my name, at Brian Stan. Uh, they can also follow the organization I run that helps veterans get jobs at HireHeroesUSA.org. Um, and, and I appreciate all the support, guys. And thanks so much for having me on, man. It, it's great after a long work day to have some great laughs with you guys. Thank you. Anytime. Take care, Brian. It's a pleasure, brother. Take care. Our next guest is the he's an NCAA champion. I watched him in college. He is a badass wrestler. He's six and one in Bellator. Uh, he's he's a seems like a nice guy. Not the best rapper. I heard him rapping, <laughs> and not the greatest rapper. But how are Bubba Jenkins? How are you, man? <laughs> I'm good, man. What's going on with you guys? It's an it's an honor to have you on the show. I, I've been a fan of yours since uh, watching you in college. Um, and uh, it's 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 amazing watching your progression in mixed martial arts. How t- tell me about that? How hard was it to kind of cross over? Uh, it was a little bit difficult, man. Just um, you know, the wrestling part I, I had down, I had pretty natural. So as far as jujitsu goes, but once I got on my feet, there was a lot. You know, that was so much different and so opposite of um, what you want to do as a wrestler. So it was a little bit difficult in that sense to you know get well rounded and try to get the punches off and learn the angles. But other than that, man, the um, the whole involvement into MMA was you know pretty smooth. Other than trying to you know transition on my feet. Yeah, no, I. But it's coming along, man. I, I actually really feel really good about what's going on with me on my feet and and how I'm, I'm developing. Well, for, I've been trying to watch your fights, and they're not. You can't get them on the internet. <laughs> your fights are not available. Yeah. How how come you? I can't watch any of your fights. I don't know, man. Um, you know, it's, it's in Bellator. I guess it's one of those things that like Bellator tries to make sure you tune in the night that I'm fighting them. <laughs> uh, you know, to make sure you get it. Other than that, it won't be out there. And I guess it's a good thing so people can't really study your style as, as an opponent but you know yeah, I, mean, it's quite, I, I have no clue it's, it was frustrating because I was try, I kept putting in your name I tried like 12 different Googles and uh, your fights are so hard to. And I was like what the hell but you are you are kicking <laughs> you are kicking some butt now you were born in Germany and your dad had a gold mine in Africa yeah yeah absolutely I was uh, born in Frankfurt and uh, I got actually got to go back and see my kindergarten school when I was there and um, you know it was pretty cool I was on my way to Dubai so I had a trip there and I stopped in Germany and I had a really good time with some old family members and things like that but uh, yeah and then my my dad moved to uh, Ghana it's funny that we just actually played Ghana in the World Cup but my dad moved to Ghana and uh, he was gold mining. You know, he would come back every every so often and have different you know types of gold and stuff. It was actually pretty cool at the beginning. That's crazy. I mean, your dad. So your your dad would come home with gold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he used to come home with all kinds of different golds back in the days. Now was he? Uh, now back when we lived in Frankfurt. Now was he military or? 
who just lived in Germany? Um, no, he wasn't at the time. Um, I think m my mom graduated, and then she just came over here, came over there to Germany, and then my dad was up to be over there. I think he was starting up his church and stuff like that. So at that time, they just met, and then we were, me and my sister and my brother, we were put here, so it was all good. Nice. And then your parents, they both moved to Virginia? Well, my, my dad passed away when I was nine. Um, oh. That's what got me into wrestling. And my mom had family in Virginia, so that's when me, my sister, and my brother, we all went to Virginia. So what, part, what part of Virginia? Virginia Beach. Stand up. Oh, nice. Eight oh four. I rap. Someone asked me where I'm from. Eight oh four or seven five seven. Seven five seven. Boom! Look at you. Yeah, uh, sorry to hear about sorry to hear about your dad. The by the way, athlete factory, son, the athlete factory. <laughs> so, so, you, so you, your dad passes away, and, and then and then your, your your mom says, "Okay, well, I could see that, you know, this guy needs an outlet for something. I'm gonna throw him into wrestling, right? That's kind of what happened." Yeah, uh, my uh, my father was a two time state champion in Indiana, so you know he he didn't really like football that much. He wasn't, you know. the all his brothers were tall and big, and my, my dad was, you know, the wrestler size, a small guy, stocky. So he didn't really like football as much as the other guys. So he, he started wrestling, and, well, you know, once I started getting in a bunch of fights when my father passed, then, you know, my mom was like, oh, yeah, let's definitely get him into wrestling or football or something like that. And I started at, you know, doing both at the same time, and I ended up liking both of them, and I just happened to be more uh, successful in wrestling since it's, you know, uh, a one-on-one -on -one thing, uh, you know, you get all the glory and all the blame. Yeah, no, I uh, I uh, wrestled in high school and then a little bit in college too for SUNY Binghamton. Uh, I got a, a scholarship to Hofstra. I was, I like loved it. It was like the best thing I've ever done was wrestling. Changed my life, uh, and I owe, I, owe, yeah. I owe everything to it. So I can totally. Uh, that's why I have a I have so much respect for wrestling, especially guys at your level. Uh, now you were I was reading, you were a one-time Virginia State champion. And then it said you were a five-time national champion in high school, which I thought high school was yeah. only four years. <laughs> yeah, but there's you do different like national him? tournaments in the year. You know, in the beginning, they have a bunch of national tournaments, and then at the end, they have some national tournaments. And a lot of schools in different states, a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of schools in different states won't allow you to wrestle on Saturdays and Sundays due to religion and things like that. So... You know, sometimes the national tournaments are, you know, during a different uh, athlete's sport. You know, a lot of times in high school, people are doing double sports and stuff like that. So you don't get to go to every national. But every year, there's a couple of different national tournaments as far as high school wrestling. Oh, okay. No, but, but being a five-time national tournament. that are just the public ones. They're like the main. You win this tournament, everybody knows. It's basically the instant wave of high school. So there's a couple of those. But how good is Virginia, where you only win the states once, but you win the nation five times? It's, isn't that kind of weird? Um, no, no, it wasn't weird. Uh, I, I ran. I did a lot of good things in Virginia as far as wrestling-wise. Um, one thing about Virginia, we wrestle really well in our state. And they wrestle really bad outside of the state. You know, a lot of a lot of times we would be. I mean, we have some of the best guys in the in the state tournament. Would be really awesome, really exciting, a lot of big moves and things like that. And then we would get a national team and go compete nationally, and just really never do that well. I mean, a couple of us would uh, you know achieve gold, but for the most part, we averaged out under par. And that was one of the things that happened to me in high school. I won, uh, I lost in the finals my freshman year. I won it my sophomore year. And then the next two years, ranked number one in the country. I didn't win the tournament, not to being in the tournament, but just often that uh, things that happened. So it was just one of those situations that I just happened to be 
ready when the bigger lights were on than when I was you know competing for a state title. Right, that makes sense. I mean, it's, uh, that's uh, very impressive. Then in college, you went to Penn State, which was uh, at the, I think it was like the number one school in the country at the time. You were there four years. So you what? You redshirted your first year? No, I uh, actually didn't redshirt to the year I left. I started at fifty-seven, my true freshman year, weighing one fifty pounds. Me and uh, Valmont would go back and forth and I wrestle off and they were like, well, we want you both in the lineup. Um, you're too good to sit you on the bench. So, um, we're going to, you might know Dan Valmont. He actually coaches at Hofstra right now. Um, but Matt Derlin, the coach at Binghamton, the head coach at Binghamton was, um, the guy who recruited me and the guy that, you know, really watched over me while I was at Penn State. So he was like, Hey, coaches, once you're in the lineup, you know, we'll put you at 57 since you're small, but you can deal with the speed and you're pretty naturally strong. So, you know, let's let's see if you can you know compete at that level. And you know, it was cool. I went to the I went to the national tournament, but my year was the uh, you know that forty nine year when I actually could wrestle in my weight class and and you know be be more assertive in, in my in the lineup. Now you, but uh, the people that the people the people that don't know this, so Bobby, you were you went to you were at Penn State for four years. You're you're you were uh, I think an All American, right? Or did you did you did you you think you're All American? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, then I lost in the finals to Mecca. To, right, Jesse Metcalf, who was who was a, a, a badass, and then you end up going to uh, to ASU for your senior year. You win the national title against Penn State against your old team. Uh, <laughs> how I mean, good did that feel? how good did that feel? Was there any kind of resentment? I mean, when people were watching you, were your old teammates kind of mad at you? Were they calling you a traitor? Well, t- 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 tell me about that. Man, it was it was a definitely a different situation. I mean, one of the most uh, talked about events in, I mean, college wrestling. I mean, you can talk about a bunch of different things, but the fact that, you know, I left Penn State and went to Penn State for the national championship to pin uh, one of their best wrestlers from Denver. Oh, God. Hello? Oh, this is, this is getting good. Yeah. Hello? Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, hey, sorry about that. Okay, so uh, for some reason your uh, phone dropped. All right, so take it from, take it from. Uh, so uh, tell us about the whole Penn State thing, the the uh, the uh, senior year. Yeah, when I um, I was captain of the team since I was a sophomore. Um, they, it's voted on by the by the wrestlers, and you know we all have a team vote. We put you know names in the hat, and then coach comes and tells us who the captain is later. So. Since I was a true sophomore, you know, at 19 years old, I was the captain of the team. And then three years, fast forward three years later, um, our coach gets fired, and then Kel Sanderson comes in, and immediately, you know, he didn't want me to be captain, and immediately, you know, I started seeing the coaching staff turn against me, and so to speak, as no one was really talking to me or really updating me or anything that was going on. And I was redshirting because, you know, I I, I took some off-the-mat measures to make sure that I could get that redshirt because, as I said, I've been wrestling the Big Ten since I got there day one. So, you know, wrestling at that level for that long, it really puts a wear and tear on your body, and I really need the redshirt year. So I, I took some measurements to make sure I got that retro year. And then, um, you know, me and Kel had our disagreements, uh, you know, and then I shipped off to Arizona State. And it really wasn't a bad thing between me and a lot of my teammates. You know, I was still really cool with them as far as the team goes and as far as friends go. But, 
there are some guys along the way that I definitely lost and definitely drew a, a disliking for. And, you know, and, you know, that sometimes happens, especially when you go into another team. You know, you can speak of the Celtics and, and, uh, Kevin Garnett, the way they feel about Ray Allen. You know, there's, you know, a lot of things there. So when you had a championship team and you were reaching for a championship and we were those type of wrestlers and of that caliber, when you guys split or, you know, the coach does it. He starts switching things up, then you know Phyllis can get lost in the way. And but what you know, was it about? What friends. was it? What was it exactly between you and Kale? I mean, was it kind of like? I mean, because obviously you're you're a, an all you're an all American at that point. You're an, an amazing wrestler. Kale comes in, who is arguably the best uh, wrestler ever in college, or and uh, you know Olympian wrestler, Olympic gold medalist. So what was it? Was it like an attitude thing, or he he, he didn't like your technique, or he didn't like your work ethic, or you, you didn't like the way he talked to you? What exactly was it? I really, man, I can't even put a number on it. You know, there was a couple of things that, you know, I, I guess people told him that, you know, weren't true about me. And there were some things that people told him that were absolutely true about me, but they happened before his time. It's like when I got there, he was already willing to strike me out before even realizing that I was, he wasn't even in the ballpark when I was, you know, running the bases the way I was running the bases, so to speak. You know, there's a lot of things that happened at Penn State. Um, before he came, that was already, you know, in, in, in motion. So when he got there, people had their sit-downs with him, people had to talk about, you know, me, whenever my name came up, you know, there was things that often that, that people just didn't like or just misconstrued about me. If you can, if you watch wrestling and you follow my wrestling, you can see a lot of different times in my career where people just had me misunderstood. You know, there was a lot of times when I was celebrating, people would do me. It's not like I'm showboating or trying to show up to the other guy. It was the fact that, you know, I'm really happy about all the things that I achieved coming from my background, coming from where I'm coming from. And when I'm, when I win, I, I, I show elation. You know, I put my heart on my sleeve and a lot of people misunderstood that for whatever they wanted to misunderstood it. For. And really, me and Kel didn't really have like a verbal spat or like a, you know, you doing this and I'm doing that. There was there was really none of that. They just stopped communicating with me completely, shut off everything from me, and then told me um, two days before we go on our Christmas break that they they were going to release me. And I hadn't talked to a coach when I was going to get when I got released in December. I hadn't talked to a coach since you know October, you know September, October, somewhere in there, you know where there was just like no communication. So you think Kale but, had so um, Kale, so Kale kind of came in with an attitude like this guy Bubba's trouble. He's a hothead. He's a show off. He's whatever. So he kind of yeah, came oh, in yeah. against. He came I can in feel with, that in in our first meeting. I can feel that in just the way we talked, the way they talked to me, the way they felt like you know just just in the, in the tone. You can see you can read a demeanor. And I've been a lot around the characters. You know, you know Virginia is a very well milked pot been a lot of places where wrestling has brought me and I, and I can read a lot of different characters very well you know I surround my people I surround myself with good people all the time and you can just read when somebody doesn't like you or you can read um, you know the sounds of the voice where they just have some dislike for you and I, and I can feel it do you think it's because your pants are so low <laughs> hello no, nah, I don't think it was because my pants. <laughs> no, I don't think it was. I, I wasn't. I wasn't that type of person. I didn't. Rock, I didn't rock my my swag like that. Your pants are very low. I looked at some of those pictures. I'm like, well, how does he hold them up? And I guess I don't know. So <laughs> now, now, no. So you now you go to ASU. Uh, was the right. cal was the caliber as high as it was in Penn State in in the wrestling room? Not in the room, so to speak, but um. Me and Brian Stitt and, and Coach Charles and, and Anthony Robles, we all, you know, put our minds together that, you know, if we're gonna make a change there at Arizona State, we're gonna do it all together and we're gonna communicate and we're gonna we're gonna go at this full fledged. You know, it was me and Anthony's last 
the last go around, and you know, Coach Charles and and Brian had to really turn the Arizona State program around. So we all just you know sat on the table, put everything that we had out there on the table, and you know things came up good as far as coaching staff and, and me and Anthony goes. The caliber, like you said, of Arizona State wrestling of the people that was in the room, um, it wasn't the same as Penn State. You know, Penn State was recruiting from the guys from all over the place, and a lot of times Arizona State had you know people that trickled in from you know just the local areas, you know California and things like that. But now, Penn as far State, as you had guys from all over the country, as far as Anthony, people don't know who are listening. Anthony Robles is the guy who had one. Who he, he has he has one leg. And he was an NCAA champion. Amazing. How was it practicing with a guy with one leg? Was it a, did that totally like screw up? That's got to be hard in some ways because you're not used to that, right? Well, well, me and him didn't work out that much together. You know, I was 157, a full fledged 157 pounder, and he was you know just a little bit over 125. So, right, so. if we wrestled, I was not gonna give him any any leeway. I would just bully him around because I'm a good 35 pounds bigger than him. But yeah. uh, when you know, but it definitely gives you some. Uh, things to think about when you wrestle him because you know he he, he has really good balance. He's actually surprisingly quick and he he's strong as an ox. His arms are really really strong from being on the crutches and I mean he's got really really big hands and he knows what he's doing. Man, he knows how to wrestle. It's not just you know that he has you know a handicap and he, and he figured out a way to win with it. I mean if yeah. he had two legs, he, he you know he'd just be he'd just be as good. You know he's uh, one of the guys that has two legs. You know he's a really good wrestler, in, in, so to speak. Now when going, you know, I, I going for it, and he's a brother. Going no. for a double is out the window, though, right? Now you can go for Say a double. Again? <laughs> going for a double leg is out the window. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. You're not going to find that. Yeah, you can definitely and try And he to... doesn't stand up like that, so you won't. <laughs> yeah. If you watch the wrestle, you, you're not going to get an angle pitch. shoot any kind of shot on him. Now, now, as far now, so when you pin Dave Taylor, right? I think you were the five seed. He was number three seed that year. Four, I was four seed. Four seed. When you pin Dave Taylor in the finals, do you look over it at like your old coaches and you're like, are you like, what, what? Or are you just kind of at that point, you know, it's over? I like. No, nah, man, it really wasn't about them when I won that. It was, you know, it was, it was what I was going through as a, as a wrestler in college, being misunderstood, finally getting to Arizona State with, you know, they really love their athletes. They really love the people that work hard for them and they treat you right over there. It's not like you're just a number. They actually care about your families and things like that. And it was just really about the situation that I was in, just being at the top of the podium, at the top of the mountain of wrestling, um, you know, at the top of the game, being just getting myself to such a historical moment. And it was really about that. I really didn't think about Kel and them and Penn State and what I had been through until, you know, maybe 30 minutes after the match. And this because once you reach that championship and you get that goal, you're on such an emotional high that, you know, you don't really realize anything else except the, the thing that you just accomplished. Now, how much how much Arizona uh, pussy did you get? Because those are some of the hottest chicks I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was a good time, man. Being a national champion on TV and the school uh, putting up, you know, all kinds of posters of you all around and, and, and giving you a pep rally with the other national champs as far as the guys we had in track and things like that. It was uh they they put us on a pedestal, especially at being our senior year. So, so you, I mean, really you were having lots of were you having lots of like threesomes with like white chicks. <laughs> it was just a sun double way, man. It was a good time. How about that? Oh uh, no, forget about how about that. I want to hear. So I mean, you were you were just you were laying pipe, huh? <laughs> it was good times, man. I mean, it was college. You know, I, I, I didn't see anyone at the time, so it was college, man. I I you know, winning got you a lot of. Different things around campus. It was, it was awesome. All right, so now you're a pro, right? You're 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 four and zero as a pro. You lose to uh, Larue Burley, 
uh, by TKO. I actually had to Google this guy. I never heard of this guy before, uh, but he's he guy's undefeated. And uh, now, how did you take that loss? What, what have you learned from that? Man, like you said, I, I had to Google a guy. I had no clue who he was, no, no nothing of him. And I really, you know, you learn from everything. But, you know, since I've been wrestling, I, have, I mean, every loss, I feel like I lose a little bit of my soul. So I, I vowed never to lose the same way again and things like that. So, I mean, once I came up against the Burleys, you know, I kind of took it for granted. I underestimated him a lot. Um, I didn't really train as hard as I should have, you know, and there were some injuries that I had. I had gotten from my previous fight that I was just like, you know what? I don't know who this guy is, but, you know, I've, I've wrestled many a times hurt and I come out and just beat this guy up. He'll never make it to the third, things like that. You know, I kind of had that kind of mindset. And I had to really get beat to, to really realize that mindset uh, could, could cause me a loss. And, you know, and that's what it did. And, you know, I really learned a lot from that. I really um, was happy, not happy that I lost, but happy that I took it early and the type of way that I lost. You know, you could tell that my conditioning wasn't there. You can tell that, you know, I wasn't ready as soon as that cage lock, you know, it was just like uh out of placement kind of feeling and I you know, I definitely strive to never feel that again. I've been working extremely hard to, to make sure that if I ever get into a situation where okay, I'm in a fight, you know, I can go every minute that the fight is on. So Well the good news about losing on the belt the good news about losing on the Bell Tour prelims is that no one will ever see it. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> now, now you are, now you, now you, you signed an eight fight contract at Bellator? Yeah. Um, it was a eight fight, no, no tournament contract. We're going to do a bunch of those fights and it was negotiable between how many fights that was. And then we were going to jump into the tournament and see how we go there. And, you know, depending on the wins and the losses in the tournament, we were just going to continue uh, the relationship with them. How's it now? Do you have to work now? I like it's funny now. Do you have to work a uh, day job or how are you making money? Oh, I got. I mean, I'm getting sponsors and I got a good guy in Dave Thomas. He's uh, at TNT Management, and you know we got some good things going with me. You know, being a good draw and be, having a good name from wrestling and stuff like that. And I'm pretty personable and easy to get a get an interview out of. So you know, I'm I, I'm out there and people people really do show that they care and they show their love and you know the sponsors really sh- uh, show see that and appreciate that. And you know we're working on you know just developing things off the cage out out of the mat and things like that. Where we can just you know build the the Bobby brand. So you're so you're able to kind of support yourself right now and just work on training. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. And then some of the guys you're you're, you're training with are what Hector Lombard, Ravi Lawler over at American Top Team. When I was at American Top Team, um, I, I'm actually out in California now. I, I train with Paul Herrera and Tiki Gosen, you know, between in Orange County. But I did. When I first started, at, right after college, I got recruited, kind of, and they called me up to be like, "Hey, you want to come out here to America Top Team and and see if you can roll with our guys?" And I, when I got out there, man, I fell in love with this gym, with Carl Laborio and Dan Lambert. They're really awesome people. They really treated me like you know a brother, a son, one of their own. And the training was great. You know, a lot of the guys in the room, like you said, Hector Lombard, uh, Dean Thomas, Eve Edwards. I mean, it was you know every other guy that you see in Bellator or UFC were in the gym. You know, and Tyron. Yeah, was bringing more guys in, so it was an awesome experience. So, so okay, so but so so now now you're with Tiki Goshen, uh, who used to uh, in bang, Huntington Beach. He, he used to bang Ariani, correct? <laughs> I believe so. I never really dug into his uh, 
his background, but I think I definitely heard some stories about that. So. Oh, nice. Now, what are, what are, the, what are, what are these stories? That you, want, and you want to tell these stories to us and everyone on the podcast? Don't get him in trouble. <laughs> no, they, I didn't hear any stories that were... That were I <laughs> yeah. just heard that he might have been dating Ariana. Oh, so oh good. Like, okay. Gotcha. Well, All right, so you're in Orange yeah. County. Uh, do, you, uh, do you ever go to Rain and train with those guys? No, no. I don't really go over there that much. Um, right now, we're doing... Um, a lot of one-on-one. It's almost like I, I'm getting tutored by two of the best guys in the game, you know. So it's like a lot of sometimes we'll we'll mix it up with other gyms or we'll bring some guys in. But for the most part, most of my training consists on you know really learning the fundamentals and and getting comfortable in positions and really getting back to the basics instead of just oh you know this is how you fight and go out there and throw a bunch of things. You know, we're working on hip twist and getting the hand pointed, keeping the shoulder behind the jaw. Really, really fundamental, really, really basic. Because when I was at ATT, it was like a sink or swim program. You know, there's a lot of guys in there. You don't really get down to nitty gritty. It's like you're just surviving every every turn and everything. You're surviving. And of course, they have classes where they teach you and and the hands on. There's so many guys out here. Um, when I'm training with Tiki, when I'm training with Paul Herrera, um, it's just like one on one. You know, maybe one or two other guys there, but it's really hands and you really get to critique yourself a lot and, and, it, and it, it works for me it's a, better, it's a really good program for me nice well listen Bubba Jenkins where can people find you uh, they can find me on Twitter at 2 Sinster that's 2 S-I-N-S-U-R-R Jenkins um, you can find me on Instagram at Bubba underscore Jenkins Facebook Bubba Jenkins uh, I actually got a website that's pretty cool you guys can go check out some of the stuff there it's on GoBubbaJenkins.com I might have some videos up there for you if you can uh, find those, but I don't know if a lot of them still work. Nice. Fights go because they'll take them down after a while. But like Do you have any videos said, man, of you with the I ASU girls? That. Say what? Any videos of you having the threesomes with the ASU girls or no? No, no objections to you guys doing that. You guys can call up them and get that popping <laughs> if you like. <laughs> you're in California. You're close to them. Nice. Well, listen, Bubba, it's an honor to have you on, man. I think big things. I know you're going to be the Bellator champion. I'm predicting you'll be in the UFC in less than a, two years. You'll be in the UFC, and you will be a major, major player in the UFC. You heard it here first, people. Okay? Adam Hunter, MMA Roasted. <laughs> I'm calling big things for Bubba Jenkins. I, I know it. My I man, I appreciate you guys for having me on, bro. That was an awesome interview, and call me anytime. Man. It was cool. All right, take care, Bubba. Later. All right, peace. All right, that was Bubba Jenkins. Very gregarious and loquacious. Yes, exactly. Nice guy. <laughs> yeah, very nice guy. Uh, he's. I'm telling you, Bubba. Like these guys are a lot. There's so many, so deep out there. But a guy, a guy like that is under the radar right now, and it's sort of like he's getting his his. Uh, you know his amateur chops career chops up, yeah. But he's gonna be he's gonna be really good. He he already is really good, but he's gonna be one to watch. Nice. So uh, I love it when people email and say, "Emmy roasted man." I didn't even know who this guy was till you came on. You I didn't know who radar. Vince Pinchel was till you put him on. I didn't even know who Biggie Mike Rhodes was, and that's to me one of the one of the goals of our show, and that feels really good because yeah. I didn't know who Biggie Mike Rhodes was until he came on here. <laughs> these, these guys are like, these guys are in the NBA of fighting. I mean, they're in the NFL of fighting. There's no reason why you shouldn't know who they are. Right. But uh, anyway. All right, so we have Jermaine Durandame on, who actually is 46-0 in Muay Thai. She's an 11-time world champion Muay Thai kickboxer. She's a badass fighter. She's the first Dutch woman in the UFC. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, guys. How are you guys? 
Oh, we're doing good. Alles goed, alles goed, meisje. Uh, alles, alles gaat goed, gaat heel goed met jou. Ah, prima, prima. Goed. <laughs> what, what did you say to her? I just said, asked her if everything's good. She said, yeah, everything's very good. How oh, about, nice. How about you? And I said, prima. So, so uh, Jermaine, I was watching some of your fights. Uh, now, your, your, your trainer, Cesar Gracie, called you the female Anderson Silva. Is mm-hmm. that, is that, uh, how do you, I mean, is that, is that a lot of pressure being called the female Anderson Silva? Well, if you look at my record, my record speaks for itself that I don't even come close to the female Anderson Silva. <laughs> well, well, your Muay Thai record's better than his. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so is your kickboxing. Uh, has, it, has it been hard making the transition to MMA? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's been a bumpy road, yes. It's pretty hard because I'm a brawler. I love to brawl. I just like to punch and kick people. Instead of uh, the the groundwork, so it's it's been it's been tough, but uh, I uh, I really like it. I do like it. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you're very good at it. I mean, you're uh, some of the. You're, I was watching some of the knees you were throwing. Uh, now, your 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 uh, your your last fight was actually uh, your toughest fight. Uh, you got stopped by Amanda Nunez. Uh, do you think that was an early stoppage? Uh, do you think what would you do differently if you had to fight her again? I think, you know what, the thing is that the referee at that time made a decision. I'm not going to dispute that. I have to say there's not a moment in the fight that I was in any danger or that she hurt me. I didn't even have a scratch on me. But um, I just like to, I just decided, you know, you know what, I'm going to just lay here tonight on the ground and just not do anything. No, 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 that's a joke. But, um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there are so many things I would probably do different. Um you know, I, the thing is, when we, when we, the moment we hit the ground, I knew what to do, but uh, I just, ref- in my mind probably, I refused to do it. And, uh, you know, it's just, I think it's just going over the, the same things a million times like I did with kickboxing that I still need to do with MMA. And uh, I haven't really showed what I'm capable of the ground. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to make a lot of progress, and the next time I might surprise you guys. I mean, I hope so. I know you. You started following MMA Roasted on Twitter, and I was like, so I was so happy because you're always retweeting my jokes and stuff. And I guess I do pretty well. With people who don't speak English, it's probably my like yeah, biggest seriously. audience. <laughs> I know. I want sometimes I want to retweet more of your or more of your things because you're so funny. But I have to be careful. Maybe uh, UFC gets angry with certain things. So. Oh, I think you'll. I think you don't worry about it. I think you'll be fine. Um, now, now you. Uh, now, do you have a, a, a boyfriend, or are, are, are you into men or women? I know a lot of times uh, fighters like women. Uh, what, 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 what's, your, what's the deal? I am single, happily single. Well, yeah, happily single, yeah. Are, are, you, are you sure? I'm very sure. You're sure? I'm very, very sure. Now, yeah. now, you want to go out on a date? Yeah, sure, why not? I, I, I would love to go out on a date with you. You, you could uh, protect me. <laughs> uh, shouldn't it be the other way? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I was just kidding. Now, what type of... <laughs> you can beat his ass, though. Yeah, probably. Now, what, what, what type of guys do you go for? Hail static. <laughs> a little bit of the nerdy guys. Not, I don't like macho type of guys. I just like the normal down-to-earth guys, you know, that are relaxed and... Just one a person you can have fun with. Yeah. I don't like people that sit on the couch. I'm an adrenaline junkie. Somebody, if my boyfriend would call me, for example, and say, "Hey, you want to go go skydiving?" I'm like, "That's the man I was looking for." 
All right. So you like you like skydiving. You like adventurous men. Uh, yeah, I like crazy things. Anything that's fun, I like crazy things. Try new things. Come, come to L.A. and Adam will drive you through the hood. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, my kind of man. <laughs> nice. Now, now, I mean, have were you, were you ever married or? Oh please, married? No. Where are you? No, where are you? I'm only thirty years old. I'm still so young. Wh- I'm not in a hurry. Where are you from in Holland? Utrecht. What's that? That's in the center. It's close to Amsterdam. It's about 20 minutes away. Nice. Nice. So, okay. All right. So, you're single. Are, 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 you, are you on Tinder? Are you uh, looking for men? <laughs> I just asked you on a date. Why yeah, no. It's good. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm down. You. No, Come we're going to go on a date. We're going to meet Jermaine. I am down. I will totally take you out. I'll be nice. I mean, they call it, your nickname is the Iron Lady, which means you're good at ironing. <laughs> and, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> I am. Good. Yes, no problem. Now, now you've had forty six Muay Thai pro fights. You're forty six and zero. You've never okay. lost. That's uh, insane. I mean, uh, and I and I and I was reading that you started doing uh, training because you were fifteen years old and you thought you were fat. So you went into a gym, and next thing you know, you're the world champion. Take us through that. Well, I played soccer very high level. I played in the selection of the Netherlands, and I gained a few pounds. I wouldn't call me one call it fat, but well, I was 190 pounds, not muscle. Let's keep it like that. That's that's so, pretty fat. Uh, <laughs> How much? So, 190. Uh, I was doing kickboxing. And he says, "Hey, you want to come with me one time?" And I'm like, "Okay," but I was a little bit of a rebel, so I thought, "Oh, I can do this," and I started training. And my coach at the time said to me. Do you want to fight? And I'm like, uh, okay. That was after two months. And a month later, I fought my first fight. I, I honestly never had the attention that I thought, oh, I can be the world's greatest or whatever, or becoming a world champion. I just, from that moment on, I never stopped. Wow. I mean, and you've been, and you've been killing it ever since. I mean, uh, I mean you're... Uh, now, well, how come you didn't stay... Uh, I, I know that you... I mean, being that you were a... a, a 10-time world champion in kickboxing. How come you, a lot of times, like we had a guy on the, who was that guy we had from Australia? We had John, the guy, the guy from Australia that was like the, he was. Yeah, what, that, he was ridiculous. Yeah, he. he it, we got, yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we, 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 we had a guy. We uh, had him on the, uh, on the video po- phone. Yeah, right? what's his, that? What was it? <laughs> uh, we, well, anyway, we had this, we had, we had this amazing, <laughs> we, had dude. we had this amazing guy who was like, four, who was like 110 and, and uh, 11. John, John something. Wayne Park? John Way Park, yes, we had. I fought his Yay, wife. Hey, look at the big brain. Wait, you, you uh, fought his wife? Yes. At a club. And, uh, did, did <laughs> you beat <laughs> Not even. <laughs> Did you beat his wife? Uh, um, yes. Yes. That was my first fight in the United States. Wow. Yeah, she was pretty good. Was double world title. Yeah, she, she was, at that time, she was one of, one of the, if not the best female fighter in the world. So you, it was an honor for me to fight her at that time. Absolutely. Were you fighting out of Golden Glory at the time? No. I fought out of my own team. I had Team Jermaine together with my management. Okay. So, well, we had him on the show, and we asked him how come he didn't do MMA. He said he did one MMA fight. It didn't go that well. He just couldn't really. He's like, all right, I'll stay in. Now, was it hard for you to kind of go into a sport where you're not the best after becoming the best in the world for a long time? Yes, it's very hard in the sense of very hard, but I'm a person I like challenges. 
And that's why, okay, I might not be the best, and I probably will never be the best MMA fighter. But I do believe I can beat the best. So it, for me, it's just a challenge. I like the challenge. In every sport you do, it's always a win and lose. You can never, I don't believe in staying the undefeated at anything, you know. So I always was like, okay, I might not have a nice track record, and I will never have a nice track record in MMA because I'm just like to brawl. People pay a lot of money. I just want to fight. I just want to punch you in your face. I want you to punch me in my face. And if we go to the ground, I don't mind, but at least beat me up. So when I step out of that cage, I'm like, okay, I got a nice ass beating. Hmm. I feel alive again. So for me, it's more like it's the challenge. In, in Muay Thai, I had a lot of challenges, but I didn't fight a lot anymore. And then I can't, Then they offered me a fight in MMA, and I thought, you know what? This is the ultimate, something I would always would want to have a try, want to have tried. To stand in a cage, just like an animal, close the door, only the strongest will survive. And that's a challenge that I think that's amazing. I felt very, very uncomfortable in the beginning, especially in the cage, because the ring feels very different compared to a cage. And sometimes, I see, I'll be honest, sometimes I still think, damn, what I, did I sign up for? <laughs> but I do, I do love the challenge, and uh, yeah, I truly enjoy it to the fullest. And you cannot always win, so you, you know what? You better make the most of it. You have an amazing attitude. Oh, my God. Now, uh, now, when you fought Julie Kezzi, were you, were you distracted by her butt? Because she has a really nice butt. Uh, to be honest, I didn't look at her butt. Oh. I just looked at her face. Oh, that's okay. Well, it was a good fight. And her butt was, and her butt was against the case most of the time. So, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Now, um... Now you've been getting it. Now you're, you're over at AKA. You're, you're you're with Bob Cook. You're training with guys Crazy like Bob Cook. Uh, Josh Thompson's one of the guys you're working with, right? And uh, mm -hmm. how now? How how often do you do you do you train with uh, Cormier and Kane and those guys? Yeah, well, Kane is now out, of course, with his injury, and I think he's filming right now the Ultimate Fighter in Las Vegas. But yeah, Daniel teaches the wrestling classes, and I've sparred a couple times with him. You know, he always talks about himself in the third person, so sometimes, <laughs> you know, you just got to beat him up Wait, until he takes me down. Wait, you sparred Daniel Cormier? <laughs> yeah, we sometimes goof around, you know, and then he, said, then he talks shit to me, and then I have to run after him, kick his butt, and then he takes me down. So, same old, same old. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the best gym ever. I would, if, I, if I walked into a gym and I saw Daniel Cormier sparring her, I'd be like, what the fuck kind of gym is this? <laughs> Why walk in there? <laughs> what kind of weird, bizarre world am I living in right now? But uh, that's awesome. So, anybody, is there anybody that you want to call out? Any 135-pound women you want to call out? Oh, no. I want, anybody, I want to fight anybody that wants to brawl. Not laying prey on me. I fight any girl that wants to brawl. Well, that's that's Adam. Adam wants to lay and pray. Yeah, him. but the problem with that is that everyone's gonna hear that and, and just go right for the lay and praying. So you know, it's like yeah, uh, yeah great point. But now the thing is, non-training. If you want to go lay and pray, you will get punished before we go lay and pray. Nice. All right. Well, maybe you should lay and pray. Maybe you should take people down and then just pound them out. You got a great point. Let's start working on that. I might surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, listen, uh, Jermaine, it was a pleasure having you on. I know you were nervous because your English, you said, wasn't that good, and you were worried about my jokes. Your English is amazing. You are a breath of fresh air. If I come to San Jose, <laughs> when I come to San Jose, I will 100% take you out on like that date. I would love to go skydiving with you. And have fun doing fun Sky things diving, with you. Skydiving, muff diving, whatever. Yeah, muff diving. Uh, it'll be it'll be amazing. 
I would love Thank to go. Mu- I would love so to go much. muff diving in you. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You how, guys are amazing. Thank you so much. How, how can we find Thank you? you? Yeah, oh, yeah, Jermaine. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you on Twitter and stuff? Uh, at, MMA, uh, at Iron Lady MMA. Iron Lady or MMA. Just, Iron Lady MMA, or just go to my Facebook. Or if you ever want to say hi in your neighborhood, come by at AKA San Jose and. You know, we can, uh, we can have a nice chat, and uh, if you want to come beat me up, everybody's welcome. Wow. Wow. Thank right. you. Thank you, Vels. Uh, uh, You're welcome. <laughs> Chris Brown's went to San Jose. So, uh, well, thank you. Oh, he has no chance. Chris Brown has no chance. I'd take him down. I promise you that. Oh, I would love to see that. Jermaine that awesome. versus Chris Brown. I am in. I am in. I can't even schreitfleck in my bollocknipper. You're nasty. <laughs> what did you just say to her? Am I my triangle, you then? So what? <laughs> Wait, what did you say to her? <laughs> I said, they can't be yeah, like in my I, I said, I, I, I don't even want to say because it's too say? disgusting. What did you say? What did you say to her? Come on. I said, I have a shit stain in my banana hammock. Oh, God. <laughs> this is this is the Dutch you know? This and is now he's lying to you. <laughs> he's lying? Yeah, he's lying. Ask him what he said. What oh, what did he really say? It can't be like in my balakanite. No, what did you really say? People are going to know what you said. What did you say? That's, tell him what I said, Jermaine. No, 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 you translate it. Jermaine, on, Jermaine, man. you could say what he said. He asked me to squeeze his nuts. Well, no, but yeah, nut squeeze or nut pitch. You said to squeeze but, his nuts? No, but if I say, ich habe ein Schreitfleck, means I have a shit stain in mine. Balakanaiper. Balakanaiper. Uh, Balakanaiper is that? a banana well, hammock. Who taught you that? that is, uh, who taught you that? Dennis Raven. Dennis Raffin. Who's Dennis Raven? He's a yeah. Dutch. He's a Dutch kickboxer dude. Oh, okay. And this is what he's teaching. All yeah, right. Thank you. <laughs> All right. That was very awkward and very weird. But... Jermaine, thank you very much. We, we love you. We'd love to have you on anytime. Thank you guys so much. Thank keep you. Good, keep up the good work. I I really enjoy it. Oh, my pleasure. Yay. Thank you. Okay, guys, have a great day. You, you too. too. Bye. Bye. Oh, what, what a sweetheart. A, oh, my God. I, I honestly, what a would, I would perfect take her attitude, yeah. I'd take her on a date in a heartbeat. Yeah. What, what a sweetheart. Jesus Christ. Iron Lady MMA. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. So that is our show. Uh, thank you to all our guests. Thank you to uh, Brian Stan. Thanks to uh, Jermaine DeRandome. Thanks to Bubba Jenkins. I uh, really appreciate you guys coming on. So you can follow me at MMA Roasted or at Adam Comedian. Follow Todd Rex. Follow at Fox, at Fox Sports. Uh, we are going to be at LA Fight. At, we are going to be at Fight Week in Vegas. I'm going to be at the LA Comedy Club at Bally's. Uh, come see us. Where I, I'm going to be interviewing people at LA at the, uh, at the at the convention, and uh, we're going to do a a podcast from there. An MMA roasted podcast. So thank you for the opportunities. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Take care. Have a great week. You guys rule. Bye bye.